Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Thank you for joining me on the Save My Thyroid podcast, where I help people save their thyroid and regain their health. My name is Dr. Eric Osansky, and if you have hyperthyroidism, then you will especially benefit from these episodes. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you will also find many of the episodes to be valuable, including this one where I interview Hope Pedraza, who does a deep dive into the hair tissue mineral analysis. I wanted to do this episode because I've been doing hair testing for years, and so it was great to chat with someone else who does this type of testing. As usual, make sure you listen to the post-episode chat after the outro music, as I'll expand on the most commonly high heavy metals, high calcium, and slow versus fast oxidizers. And you can access the show notes by visiting SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash 94. Anyway, here is my interview with Hope Pedraza. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. So I'm very excited to chat with Hope Pedraza as we will be talking about the hair tissue mineral analysis and tying it into thyroid health. And I am going to give Hope's bio as she is a certified holistic nutritionist, a nutrition coach, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, a hair tissue mineral analysis expert, as well as a comprehensively certified Pilates instructor and founder of Inbalance Studio. And Hope helps women heal their body from chronic gut, hormone, thyroid, and autoimmune issues and balance the mind and live in alignment. And Hope is also a host of a fast-growing podcast, Hopeful and Wholesome. And thank you so much, Hope, for joining us. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So appreciate you being here. And again, excited to chat with you about the hair tissue mineral analysis and yeah, why don't you just start out with your journey, how you started helping people with hair tissue mineral analysis and doing everything that you do today? Yeah. So my journey into kind of the wellness space was just kind of my own, you know, I think we all have our own health journey that kind of leads us into this space. I initially got into wellness from my love of dance and that got me into Pilates. And so I opened my own Pilates studio. And from there, you know, with my Pilates studio, I wanted to create this kind of like comprehensive experience for people, right? Where they could get their movement and nutrition and everything all in one spot. So that kind of led me into the nutrition space. And so initially it was me just the basic nutrition coaching. And then realizing that the women coming to me, they were coming to me for, I'm using air quotes here. They wanted to lose weight, right? They want to lose weight or they wanted to tone up or whatever it was. And when I'm working with this woman, I'm realizing there's so many deeper things at play than just the weight for these women, right? There's like hormone issues they've been dealing with for years and there's thyroid things that they've never dealt with. And there's inflammation. Like there's all these things that are the real problem, realizing that the weight's just a side effect, right? Like it's not the real problem. And so that kind of led me down the path of functional diagnostic nutrition and doing that program and really being able to reach people where they need to be 
reached, which is at a much deeper level than just talking about calories and weight loss. You know, like it's just such a much more complex equation than that. And so through my work as an FDN, I got into the HTMA with a heritage mineral analysis and realizing that what a huge piece that mineral balancing plays in the wellness equation and realizing that, you know, we talk about vitamins and minerals all the time, right? We hear about it all the time. I don't think we really understand the role that minerals play though, right? Like you've probably heard of the term people listening, they're the spark plugs in the body, which, you know, that sounds great now, but what does that really mean? Like they're literally starting the reactions in the body without the minerals, nothing is functioning, right? And so understanding that piece at a deep level, understanding that the minerals are the building blocks for everything else, I realized that this is a piece that A, is really missing in most practitioners' work. Most practitioners aren't really looking at minerals or in a deep way, right? It's just kind of, you maybe do a blood panel or something and that's kind of the extent of it. But then really also giving them like a valuable protocol to know what to do with it. Like, okay, so my magnesium's low. Now what do I do, right? Knowing what to do with it. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. and. Why not just test for minerals in the blood? Like what's the difference between hair testing and testing for minerals in the blood? Mm -hmm. And you could test for also nutrients in urine. And so, yeah, if you could dive a little bit more into the significance of the hair mineral analysis. For sure. And it's a good question. I think this is the piece that really sets this specific test apart from other labs and what makes it such a great functional lab. So when you're getting just a general blood panel, right, you get your blood tested and you test your minerals there. Testing the blood, it's a very acute measure of what's going on. It's a really small window of what's going on with your mineral levels. And not only that, a lot of our minerals are intracellular, meaning they're in your cells. So when you're measuring the blood, it's really not an accurate picture of what's going on. And it's not an accurate picture of what's going on at a cellular level. So when you're measuring, literally sitting in some of your hair, when you're doing the HTMA, you're sitting in some of your hair, which is a tissue. So you're seeing what's being pushed out into your tissues, which gives you a look at what's going on chronically. Like it's a look at what's going on over time with your mineral levels. And it's much more accurate because it is what's going on at a cellular level. So you get a lot more detailed information what's going on. Then I've had so many clients I've worked with where they'd get a blood pain or whatever, and that their potassium was too high or whatever, because they measured in the blood. Well, potassium is an intracellular mineral. Like it's supposed to be in your cells. So if it's that high in your blood, it actually means you're deficient because it's not in the cells being used where it needs to be used. So there's a lot of things that you can see with the HTMA that gives you a more accurate picture of what's going on and can really help correct a lot of the imbalances that people, and then like chronic symptoms that people, like people are dealing with. Yeah. Is what you see always what you get on the hair test? Like if you see low minerals, is it always low? If you see high minerals, does it always mean that you have too much of a mineral? That is a really good question. And no is the short answer to that. It's it's not always that simple. Typically, if it's low, it's low. But a lot of times when it's high, that doesn't mean that it's high. So for example, I feel like magnesium and calcium are two of the big ones there. A lot of times the magnesium is high on the HGMA that actually means that it's being pushed out into your tissue. So it's not bioavailable. So it's a deficiency, right? With calcium, it's kind of the same thing. Calcium is a structural mineral. It's 99% of it's supposed to be in our teeth and our bones. When it's coming out in your hair and your tissues is when it's a problem, because that means that it's being pulled from our bones and our teeth. It's being pushed out into the soft tissue. And so it's a problem. So yeah, it's not always straightforward, which is why too, you don't want to just treat the lab, right? You want to treat the person. So we're looking at symptoms. We're kind of comparing symptomology in looking at the lab and connecting pieces with other labs that we've done to really connect dots to see correlations. And so pretty much just to summarize, if like in the case of calcium, magnesium, 
if it's elevated, it could mean not that it's too much, but the opposite where you're actually deficient. Now, another follow-up question though, can other factors influence it? Like if someone has hard water, could that also be like a reason why the calcium is high? Not typically. Now there are other things that could show up from hard water because there's other elements. There's some other trace elements that the HTMA measures. Like I've had some clients who like their uranium is like through the roof, but they're like drinking well water and they're bathing in well water. or They're in a place where granite is in the water. So it, it can happen that way. Typically, if calcium is that high, it's not from the water. It's from a calcium buildup in the body. And the calcium one is a really important one because, and this is kind of veering off subject here. I know we'll get to talking about copper and stuff, but really elevated calcium is indicative of other more serious things. One of those could be copper toxicity, which I know we'll talk about. But really what it means when the calcium is that high, and especially when it's like, I have some, it's like off the charts, like literally it's off the chart. I can't measure it. It's that high. I have clients all the time that have that. And when it's that high, we're looking at what's called a calcium shell, right? So we have this calcium buildup in the soft tissue and it starts to affect cellular permeability, right? It's this calcium shell kind of builds up around the nerves and the cells in the body. And it starts to prevent things from going in and out of the cells. And so a lot of times I have clients with hypothyroidism and that's a big thing, right? The hormone has to get into your cells. If you've got this calcium buildup, then it's not having an easy time going in and out of the cells. So the high calcium is really a big deal because that's going to affect really all of your other minerals because it's affecting what's going in and out and it's affecting all the other levels. Before we get to copper, can you talk about like magnesium and sodium and potassium? Yeah. I mean, they're all important, of course, to minerals, yes. but those are like the macro minerals. And- exactly. Yeah. So we have, you know, what you call the big four, which is basically what you just listed, right? It's calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium. Those are the big four, the ones we need the most of, and really the ones you hear the most about, right? For my experience, typically more people have excess than deficiency in calcium. With magnesium, most people have a deficiency. I've never to this day had someone who had excess magnesium in their body. It's always a deficiency. And magnesium is one of those that, you know, it's used in so many reactions in the body, five to 600 different reactions in the body. Magnesium is required for all of those. And because it's used so much, it's so easily depleted, especially by stress, right? The adrenals just kind of zaps through your magnesium supply really quick. And so magnesium is really easily depleted when your body is stressed. I'd say 99% of my clients, like there's a deficiency there. So that was one I'd always look at. Calcium is similar. Typically get more deficiency than excess. Excess is not typically really a thing from the labs that I do. I don't really ever see an excess. Deficiency is usually a thing. And I have a lot of clients that deal with thyroid issues. And that's a big one that's connected to the thyroid. The potassium, it helps with the sensitivity of the tissue or the, the cells to the thyroid hormone. And so most clients that I work with that have hypothyroidism, their potassium is like totally tanked. So that's a big one we have to look at and really help build those supplies back up. And then sodium, actually similar, that typically 99% of the time is more deficient than it is in excess. And this is the weird one here for people. So I think it's a hard one for people to wrap their heads around the sodium one. You know, sodium is one of those kind of like carbs, right? It's kind of got a bad rap over the past the past, I don't know, more than carbs. I mean, it's been years now that sodium has got a bad rap. And are there issues caused from high sodium? 100%. But when you look at it deeper, it's really not the sodium. It's where are you getting the sodium from, right? Our bodies have to have sodium. We have to have sodium to survive. It's what helps things cross through, you know, cellular membrane. We have to have sodium. The issue with the sodium that, you know, we hear it, you know, high blood pressure, stroke, and all these things with sodium. You can go and you can go down the rabbit hole like I have in the studies about sodium. 
if you go really far down the rabbit hole, you'll see that most of the studies out there actually do not pinpoint sodium as the true underlying cause of high blood pressure and stroke. The studies that have been done that look at different cultures that a diet high in sodium, they don't deal with high blood pressure. It's not a thing. What causes high blood pressure is where you're getting the sodium from. You know what causes high blood pressure? The standard American diet. That's what causes high blood pressure, right? It's the processed food and it's getting the sodium from refined salt. And that's the real piece there, right? Refined salt, like table salt, right? It's the equivalent of white sugar, right? It had all these chemicals put on it and stripped everything away. So it's literally just the sodium chloride. Like there's no other minerals in it. Whereas if you look at like an unrefined salt, like a Celtic salt is always my recommendation for people. It's got the most trace minerals in it, like a Celtic salt or a pink Himalayan salt. It has anywhere from like 84 to 95 different other trace minerals in it. So when you're eating that salt, it has all these other trace minerals in it that help push the sodium where it needs to go, right? And so it's not just your body soaking up the sodium chloride and it doesn't have anything else to help it out. So long story short, on answering your question, the sodium piece is a tricky one. Most of the time, my clients have low sodium, have deficiency in sodium. And reason being, your adrenals use more sodium than any other part of the body. And when your adrenals are tired, right, when they're like constantly churning and burning and they're constantly pushing out cortisol, it's just totally zapping your sodium supplies. And so this is going to cause a lot of issues in the body when our sodium is depleted. And so that's one of the things I have to work on with my clients because I also have clients that are scared to eat salt. So, you know, because they've been told their whole life, like, you know, high blood pressure and this and, you know, all the things about salt. And so, because my first recommendation is always like adding Celtic salt to their water. Like that's the recommendation. It supports your adrenals and your sodium levels. And for some clients, it's a weird thing. Like I'm putting salt in my water and I was told for the past 20 years to not eat salt. So the salt one is a tricky one, but it's always a huge one that I see in the labs. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said regarding sodium. I mean, my wife and I, we use Celtic sea salts on mm -hmm. pretty much everything. So yeah, I think we get plenty of salts and I encourage my patients to also use either Celtic sea salt or you mentioned pink Himalayan salt as well. And I agree as far as the problem with sodium is that people are eating a lot of refined foods and it's in every packaged food pretty much, mm -hmm. the sodium. So if that's what someone's living off of, they probably are going to get too much of the refined. So yeah, I agree. If you're eating, I mean, not that I tell people to have a couple of tablespoons of Celtic yeah. sea salt, but I think even like a half teaspoon or a teaspoon per day is perfectly fine. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. So you said as far as a hair test goes, you never see it high that it's almost always low. Is that correct? Almost always low. Yeah. I've never had a client that has had it high. It's either low. Sometimes people's potassium is where it needs to be, but for the most part, yeah, I see deficiency most common. Yeah. And then what magnesium, it sounds like it's pretty much always low, but as we mentioned earlier, as you mentioned, even if it's high on the hair test, it doesn't mean that it's elevated. So mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's elevated or low, low. someone mm -hmm. usually is deficient in magnesium. Yep, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's your favorite source of magnesium? If you do recommend supplementation yep. with magnesium, which I'm guessing you do if people are deficient. Yep, I do. Magnesium glycinate is always my go-to. It's the most easily absorbed. It's the easiest on the gut. I sometimes recommend like a magnesium chloride, especially like a soak. If you can, you can get a good magnesium chloride soak, I have my clients do that sometimes. It's, 
also, I mean, it's kind of twofold too, because it kind of gives them a way to kind of get their mindfulness practice in like, oh, let's sit in the tub or, you know, get a foot soak, you know, get my meditation or whatever. And, but the magnesium chloride is really absorbable. It's highly absorbable by the body, but glycinate is usually my go-to. And for those who are kind of wondering, you know, how much should I take? Typically it's five times your body weight is how many milligrams you want to get. So for the average person, it's usually between like five and 700 milligrams, obviously depending on your body weight, but glycinate is always the go-to for me. And then getting back to potassium, you mentioned that potassium also is important with regards to thyroid health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's a big one that I see, I mean, honestly, and now I'm thinking on top of my head, every client that I've ever had that has hypothyroidism or, you know, even if it's Hashimoto's, whatever, potassium is always low. So yeah, I mean, potassium is, like I mentioned before, this is kind of responsible for the help sensitivity of the thyroid hormone in the cells. And so we need potassium and your thyroid really needs potassium. And there's so many things that can affect potassium stores of potassium. Because I know, again, I keep going back to copper, but it's one of the things that always pops up because it's so common, but copper can really hurt potassium supplies. And so we've had quite a few clients that have a copper toxicity with hyperthyroidism. And it's just kind of a double whammy because it really like drains your potassium supply, that excess copper. So potassium is a big one that we want to look at. And really, I think it's important to know how to supplement that one well, because there's kind of like a tolerance level that your body has to supplementing potassium where it kind of doesn't absorb it after a point when you're taking it in like a vitamin or a pill or whatever. So my first recommendation is always to get it from food first, and then we can supplement it from there. So avocados, bananas, and coconut water, those are the three best sources in my opinion. And that's typically what I recommend to my clients. And then from there, you know, we'll supplement, but not relying fully on us on a supplement to get your potassium. It's really best absorbed through food. So just to reinforce what you said, so sometimes there is a time and place for potassium, but unlike magnesium, where it sounds like most of the time you're going to offer supplementation. And of mm-hmm. course, you'll still try to do things yeah, through diet as well. But with potassium, it's more focusing on the diet, the avocados, bananas, and you said uh, coconut water, correct? Coconut water. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So let's chat about copper toxicity because you mentioned it a few times and you know how does that present on a hair mineral analysis? Yeah. So there's kind of a checklist that I go through and there's, you know, 12 or 13 different little kind of boxes I'm checking, right? As I'm looking through somebody's tissue analysis, hair tissue mineral analysis, the big red flags for me are the calcium first and foremost, like the really high calcium, the calcium shell, the buildup in the body. That's going to be the first red flag, even if I don't look at anything else. Like, okay, I've already got that going. If copper is elevated on the test, well, here's the thing. This is also kind of a weird one where, again, you have to look at the whole lab and not just individual pieces. And then you also have to look at the client, right? And the symptoms. Because with a copper toxicity, copper can either be super high or it could be super low. Because if it's super low, it's like your body is holding on to it, right? Or it could be because the deficiency a lot of times can cause a copper toxicity, which I know sounds completely counterintuitive, but that's how it works sometimes because it's not bioavailable, right? It's just your body's just kind of holding on to it. It accumulates in your tissues, right? And first in your liver. And then the big issue really comes because once the liver it's full, then it goes to your brain and that's when it can become dangerous. And so looking at the hair tissue mineral, we're looking at like, you know, the calcium levels for sure. The calcium is going to be a big thing. We're looking at potassium. We're looking at sodium. We're looking at zinc. We're looking at some ratios. So we're kind of going through and checking these boxes off. And then again, we look at exposure, right? The big one for women, I mean, I work mostly with women, so it's a big one in my world, is, and it's usually, 
I usually know the answers before I have to ask them these questions, but you know, if they've ever been on birth control or if they've ever had an IUD, like a copper IUD, and that's typically where, where it's stemming from. It's one of those two. And then, you know, if the answer is no, then we look at, you know, are you drinking from copper pipes or using copper cookware or whatever? Like we can kind of look there, but I'd say 99% of the time it's a birth control thing or it's a IUD thing. And that's where the toxicity is coming from. And how long does it take to get out of the system or does it get out of the system on its own? Meaning that if a woman had a copper IUD, let's say 10 years ago, or if she took oral contraceptives, you know, 15, 20 years ago, can she still have a copper toxicity 15, 20 years later? You totally can. And I've had clients that have that. They're like, oh, I haven't been on birth control in 15 years. But the problem is, and now some people, yes, people could totally, it could get out of their system. I'm not saying everybody who's ever been on birth control, like it stays in your body for that long, but it's possible for it to. And the, the problem comes when, especially when there's other stressors on the body. And when you're considered a slow oxidizer, meaning like your body's breaking things down really slow, your body holds on to things. This is another thing we look at, at the, on the HTMA is if it's you know fast oxidizer versus slow oxidizer, it's how your, your body's breaking things down. Your metabolism, right? That's what we're looking at, your metabolism. And when people are slow oxidizers, your body is really slow at, at getting rid of things and typically means you're holding on to things. And when there's additional stress on the body, especially when there's that big calcium shell and there's been, because sometimes a calcium shell can get built up from stress. It's like a stress response in the body, right? It's this kind of protective mechanism. And when that calcium shell is in place, like it's almost impossible to get rid of things when your calcium is that high. So you know, there's multiple factors at play. You can't say, oh, you know, just because you've been on a copper IUD, you're going to have copper toxicity. You can't say that. But when there's other factors at play and there's other sources of inflammation and stress and, you know, especially other mineral imbalances, then there's a really good chance that, yeah, I mean, 15 years later, you could still be built up in your body and be causing issues. And how big of a role can a zinc deficiency play since zinc and copper go together, or at least as far as balancing the copper, I imagine it's important to make sure that they have adequate zinc levels. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's, you know, one of the things I look at on the HTMA, we're looking at zinc levels. If it's super low or if it's super high, like that's red flag, huge red flag. And it is because they do work together. And so that's kind of part of the protocol. We're getting rid of the copper. We have to be careful though, right? Because too much zinc, it doesn't sit well in the stomach sometimes. So we have to be careful with the zinc, but that's definitely a huge part of the protocol. And, you know, we amp up the zinc a lot. We work our way up to getting a pretty good dosage of that a few times a day with the copper toxicity protocol, because it is a big player there. Yeah. And I think it's important to mention there's no good or bad minerals, like everything's important. So even like copper. Yeah. Your body needs copper. Yeah, exactly. So again, it's not saying that copper is bad in everybody, but yeah, obviously if someone has a copper toxicity issue, you want to address that. And yeah, so thanks for covering that. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And you can find both of these on Amazon, as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting autoimmunethyroidgroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website workwithdrerick.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. 
How about selenium? What do you usually see on the hair tissue mineral analysis with selenium? That's a good question. That one is kind of hit or miss with my thyroid clients. And as you know, we need selenium. Our thyroid needs selenium. I mean, every single time. I have yet to have a th- like some sort of thyroidism that doesn't have deficiency in selenium. So that's always a big one. It's easy one to pick out right away that, you know, sluggish thyroid, your selenium is waiting. So that it's typically what I see in thyroid. Now, it's not everybody. A lot of my other clients that don't have thyroid things going on, their selenium levels are typically, you know, I would say 80% of the time they're fine. But definitely with my thyroid clients, selenium is a big one we have to address. And do you usually address it through supplementation or Brazil nuts or a combination of both? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of both. Brazil nuts are always my go-to because it's so easy. It's so easy to do with the Brazil nuts, right? But it's kind of a combination of both because when I'm working with my clients with HTMA, I work at the lab directly that basically it can customize the mineral protocol to the HTMA. And so I, I add the selenium in there, but I like to do both too, because I mean, food is always first and foremost, when they're specifically on like the mineral protocol, we're taking the minerals, if we're taking the mineral supplement. So I always like to add a little bit in there, but I definitely like to do food first. All right. Can you talk a little bit about the mineral ratios, the importance of the mineral ratios on the hair tissue mineral analysis? Yeah. So an important thing to understand with the hair tissue, which is why I like the question you asked earlier about you know, if it's low, does it mean it's low? If it's high, does it mean it's high? Because again, which is why you want someone who's trained to understand the lab, like, because just looking at the lab, you would look at it and interpret it, you know, 28 different ways. So it's it's important to understand that with the minerals as well, because yes, we're looking at the individual minerals, but we're also looking at the ratios between minerals, right? And understanding how the minerals are working together. Because For example, you can look and see that, you know, some mineral levels seem like, okay, they're not totally off. They're not, you know, really high or really low. Like they may be trending one way or the other, but you can't really tell until you look at the ratios that, okay, well, you know, our calcium to potassium ratio is the thyroid ratio. And maybe you look at it at face value, you're like, oh, it's, you know, the calcium levels aren't totally off. Potassium is totally off. But then when you look at the ratio, like, crap, your ratio is like really high. So now we see, okay, well, the thyroid is functioning a little slow, right? So it's important to look at the relationships between the minerals as well, and not just look at each individual mineral, because it really is going to give you a better picture of what's going on with the thyroid, your adrenals, your nervous system, your vitality, your immune system. So it's going to give you a good picture being able to look at the ratios there. So in those with hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, do you commonly see that calcium potassium ratio high then? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. When it's typically because their potassium is so depleted, right? It's just kind of messing, like, you know, putting that ratio out of whack. The potassium is usually pretty low. And then, you know, you add on where so many people have the calcium in excess. I mean, that just really whacks out the ratio there. So yeah, it's almost every single time we're looking that ratio being pretty high. Yeah. And I don't know if you see any hyperthyroid patients, but would you expect it to be the opposite and a lower calcium potassium lower. ratio? That's exactly it. Yeah. And I don't have a lot, but I do have had a few. I've had a handful. And then, you know, you have the ones who are where first it's hypo, then it's hyper, you know, it just kind of fluctuates back and forth. But yeah, you would see the opposite. So for the faster thyroid activity, you would see a really low ratio and good indication there's hypothyroidism there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I will say sometimes I see it where it's the opposite that it should be, where someone's mm-hmm. hyper and the calcium potassium ratio is high and not low. And yeah. same thing you mentioned, like slow oxidizer, fast oxidizer, you would think that 
Most people with hyperthyroidism, grave disease are fast oxidizers, but a decent number of them are slow oxidizers. It's very true. It's very true. Yeah. And that one really trips people up because, you know, I think people think, I'm explaining you what oxidation means and we're talking about metabolism. And I think people think metabolism like meaning you're fat or skinny, right? Like that's what people think about metabolism where it's like, no, it's like how your body's breaking things down. It has nothing to do with your weight really. And so I think people think that too, where it's like, oh, I have to have, you know, be a fast oxidizer. My metabolism, but it doesn't always work that way. And I find the same thing that I've had hyper and they are a slow oxidizer. So yeah, it's a a tricky one there looking at the oxidation rate and helping people understand exactly what that means. (laughs) All right. How about heavy metals? Can you talk about heavy metals on uh, hair tissue mineral analysis and the significance of high and low levels? Yeah. So heavy metals depending on which lab you're looking at. Well, a couple good ones, in my opinion, that you could look at, looking at them. And some of them, the one that I use measures quite a few, I don't know, maybe maybe 15 or so different heavy metals. Now, when you're looking at, speaking of you know, oxidation rates, when you're looking at a slow oxidizer, I typically expect to see at least some heavy metals show up because again, your body isn't able to get rid of them very fast, right? Or maybe not at all. It's your body's just kind of holding on to things. So the heavy metals are definitely something that we have to look at to work on that oxidation rate to help your body get rid of those heavy metals because it is going to start to cause issues and it's going to start to cause issue with the other issues with the other mineral levels. The big ones I see, aluminum is one that almost always shows up. And you know, showing up is one thing because a lot of them are going to show up, but they're not like exactly cause for concern. Like, yeah, we could do some things to help with the aluminum, but if it's super high, like, okay, yeah, now we need to address it. Aluminum, mercury, those are probably the two most common that I see. And mercury is another one of those red flags for copper toxicity. So that's also a reason to look at like, oh, well, let's look at our copper levels. But yeah, the heavy metals are definitely what we want to address those and kind of put into the protocol to help, you know, you want to support bioflow and, you know, gallbladder, liver, all those things to help your body get rid of the heavy metals and help the oxidation rate. So we're pushing things out. Now, what are some of the common sources of mercury being high and from what you've seen? Yeah. So eating a lot of fish can be one, especially if you're eating high mercury fish. There are some fish that are lower in mercury. You know, if you've ever had tattoos, if you've ever had vaccines, using like some common cleaning agents that can have mercury in them, things like Lysol and Ajax, like those have mercury. There's actually a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of really common brand soaps and like soap for your body, which is is scary to think about that they're bringing mercury and soap that you use for your body. That's usually like the first thing I work with my clients. Like, let's look at your cabinets and your kitchens, like your cleaning supplies, and let's look at your personal care products. Like, let's look at those first before we look at anything else. Because that's the, really a place that we can look to really limit our toxic exposure to these things. And aluminum, like I mentioned too, aluminum is another one that's, you know, it's common in any perspirants. Like, we get that's an easy one. We can easily, you know, lower that one. But I find that's the easiest place to start is looking at, you know, what you're using to clean your house with and what you're putting on your body. because. I mean, it can be built up from a lot of those things. So just kind of cleaning through those can be a good way to limit your exposure to it. How about if someone has a lot of mercury amalgams? Can that be a reason why it's fine? Oh, yeah, totally. I totally forgot to mention that one. I have a client who actually is going to get rid of hers in the next few weeks. She's going to a dentist to help get rid of hers. Oh, yeah, that's a huge one. And I've had clients who have gone, and I hear tons of stories about this that aren't even my clients, but other FDN's clients who have gone to get rid of their amalgams. I mean, it's like literally changes their life. It's almost like a switch flips off and all of a sudden, oh, wait, I don't have migraines now. Like it could totally is a huge source of them. Yeah. And then getting back to the aluminum, because I see aluminum 
high consistently too. And mm-hmm. some of these people are, at least they say they're doing everything to avoid aluminum. They're avoiding the deodorants. They're not using aluminum pots and pans, mm-hmm. not eating out of mm-hmm. canned foods or using aluminum foils. So I'm thinking there has to be like other sources, environmental sources, because again, yeah. just about everybody has aluminum. And it sounds like you see the same thing where most people are high. And, you know, as you said, maybe I wouldn't say not a concern, you know, but like you said, if it's like really high, definitely a concern. And, you know, obviously it's always a work in progress trying to reduce someone's toxic load. For sure. sure. Yes. Sticking on the topic of the heavy metals and what do you think about detox therapies such as sauna or even colonics or coffee enemas to help reduce one's toxic load? Yeah. I think all those are great. I love a sauna. I love the infrared sauna. I love it for myself too. I love the sauna. I got my sauna blanket at home. I have to be careful with the saunas for some people though, because while it's a really great way for detox, if someone's adrenals are really struggling, especially if I have clients that have really low sodium, like I've had some clients, like it barely even shows up on HB, like it's barely showing up at all. If somebody's that deficient in sodium, I'm not going to recommend sauna to them, right? Because I mean, they're just, especially sodium, if they're what's called a four low, so those big four we talked about, if all four of those are low, I'm not going to recommend a sauna to them because their body's so depleted. Like they're just going to sweat out (laughs) what's left in their body. So I do kind of recommend the sauna strategically, like depending on the person, but for somebody who can handle it, I love the sauna. It's a great way. I love sauna, colonics, same thing with colonics and the enemas, the coffee enemas. So people who are okay doing all those things, I think it's super helpful. I mean, when we're detoxing, especially when we're looking at, you know, a buildup of heavy metals, copper toxicity, like things like that. I mean, I think multiple strategy, like implementing multiple strategies for that, right? Like, like just helping the body out wherever we can. And, you know, we're helping increase bioflow and we're, you know, helping the gallbladder, all those things. And I think the clonics and the enemas and the saunas, I think it's all just helping add to everything else that you're doing to support the detox process. So I'm a huge fan. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of sauna therapy as well. Mm-hmm. And I will say, even if someone doesn't have low sodium, you want to make sure that you replenish the electrolytes. Oh, totally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 100%. extremely important. Yep. And uh, can you talk a little bit about the hair collection procedure yes. as far as, you know, like how much hair is required and also like if people color their hair or things mm-hmm. that they should avoid before collecting the hair sample? Yeah. Yeah. So well, first the sample itself is a teaspoon of hair. So they'll send you, it's this very archaic scale they sent you, but you measure out the hair and it's really just a teaspoon of hair and you're, you know, cutting it as close to the root as possible. And, you know, you want what's closest to the root and you're measuring out a teaspoon of hair. You want to avoid like, I, at least I encourage my clients to avoid if you're using like an anti-dandruff shampoo or something like that, avoid that before taking it out. Cause it's going to mess up the selenium levels on the reading. As far as people who color their hair, and I have a lot of ladies I work with who color their hair, I always, now they'll tell you, like, you know, the lab will tell you, honestly, I think they say like two weeks. I don't think two weeks is long enough. I'll tell my clients, let's wait a good four to six weeks if possible. So you have at least enough hair growth that you have a good chunk that's grown from the root that's not colored. So I have my clients wait about four to six weeks after they've colored their hair to do the sample. I just feel better about doing that. But if you color your hair, you can still do the sample. Like, and just knowing too that, Sometimes when you get the samples back, some heavy metals are going to show up a little higher than that from knowing that, you know, they've colored their hair, unless they've used like a, you know, all natural color or something. But just kind of knowing that sometimes the heavy metals are going to be off a little bit for those. 
And how about if someone wants to do a hair test, but they don't have any head hair or very little head hair? Yes. And they use other parts of the body. Yeah, yeah. So pubic hair and the lab does say it takes nails. I feel like things are going to be skewed a little bit for that. So I don't love that option. But the pubic hair is an option. Again, there's a couple minerals I kind of have to like look at a little bit differently for that one, but it can work. So yeah, a lot of people like if it's a man who shaves his head or a woman, because I have had women before actually who, or they have very thin hair and they're very, very scared to cut. You know, I don't want to cut what little hair I have on my head, which I get it. I totally get it. We can work with it. We can work with it with something else. Yeah. And then if someone has a water softener, can that also throw off some of the minerals? It can. Yeah. So like we were talking about hard water before. So hard and soft water can kind of throw off a few things. Um, Well water. I will say though, I've had one of my more recent clients, some of her levels were crazy. And then I asked her like, do you drink tap water? Oh yeah. I drink tap water every day. I'm like, why are you drinking tap water? I mean, it was her levels. It was a crazy looking lab. So the recommendation there is stop drinking tap water, but hard water, soft water, and tap water, all of those can totally throw off the levels there. So you kind of have to Again, it always goes back for me. It always goes back to not treating the lab, right? You're treating the person. So looking at the lab, but then also being able to ask questions and look at symptomology and understanding a person's environment, like living environment and stuff is a good thing to know when you're looking at the lab. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that hope. And is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or anything that I didn't ask you that you just want? to chat about. I know there's a lot that you could talk about with the hair <laughs> test. I'm sure you could go another few oh hours, yeah, but anything urgent or did you want to just kind of summarize for someone who might just be thinking about doing hair tissue mineral analysis and just to still maybe on the fence or just anything you want to like summarize, go right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would say if you are thinking about it, I really do feel and I've seen with this with my own clients, because when I first started out as an FD and I wasn't doing the HTMA right at first, it wasn't one of my foundational labs that I did with my clients. And I've been able to see such a huge shift in how my clients respond to the protocol by doing the HTMA and including that really specific mineral balancing in with the protocol. I've had clients where nothing else has worked ever. But we work on the mineral balancing and that's the thing. I've had clients come from other, even other functional practitioners and they've done other things and they've had, you know, similar labs, but they've never done HTMA and that was the missing piece. So I do feel like for a lot of people, it is the missing piece because again, it's not something that a lot of practitioners are looking at or it's it's not something they've ever thought was, you know, an important piece to address because they're looking at, I don't know, I feel like sometimes they feel like they need to look at bigger things, like, right? They want to look at the gut. And the hormones, which all of those are important, obviously, but minerals all affect the gut. Minerals all affect the hormone. Like I just feel like sometimes we don't get granular enough with what how the human body functions. And I think the minerals, I mean, I feel like it should be the first place we look because that's driving force for every reaction in the body. And so, yeah, I think just knowing that for a lot of people, this is the missing piece because they haven't looked at the mineral levels. And then if you're somebody who's, you know, maybe you haven't done the HTMA or, you know, you're not going to do it in the near future, if you want to kind of look at general practices to bounce things out on your own, just looking at the big four that we talked about, right? Calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium and understanding. I'm very hesitant to recommend, like everybody needs a calcium supplement just because I see so many people with so much elevated calcium. So I'm hesitant to give recommendations on that just like point blank. But for magnesium, potassium, and sodium, like for me, that's an easy recommendation because 90 to 99% of the time those are deficient. And so I think that's a good place to start is 
just, you know, like I mentioned, the food sources, the potassium, you can start there and the sodium, like switching your salt out, right? Like going to the Celtic salt or a more unrefined salt and adding some salt to your water and, you know, getting a good magnesium supplement and just tackling those little pieces to start is a good place to start if you want to kind of work on mineral balancing on your own. And then knowing too, like if you're dealing with hyper or hypothyroidism, like potassium is a huge piece in that. And so knowing that you want to protect your potassium levels and protect your thyroid. All right. Well, you shared some amazing information about the hair tissue mineral analysis, Hope. And where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you can find me probably most active on Instagram at the Hope Pedraza. So you can check me out there. I have a free Facebook group. It's Live Wholesome and Healthy. It's all things just functional nutrition, functional health. Yeah, probably the two best places to find me. Okay. Do you have a website as well? Yeah, hopefulandwholesome.com. Okay. And that's the name of your podcast as well, correct? It is. Yes. You can find me a podcast too. Yeah. So my podcast is all things health, wellness, and inspiration. So you can learn a little bit more there with all the free content on the podcast. All right. Wonderful. Of course, I will put those links in the show notes. And again, thank you so much. This was the first deep dive I've had on the podcast discussing hair tissue mineral analysis. I love it. Yeah. So was very excited to chat with you. And again, thank you again for sharing your knowledge. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really enjoyed chatting with Hope about the hair tissue mineral analysis. And not a lot of practitioners do hair testing. Definitely there is controversy when it comes to hair testing. And, you know, I can't say I find a hair test 100% accurate. Like I rely on other sources to look at the minerals and even toxic metals. It's not perfect, but I really do think it's a great test, which is why I've been doing it for so long and why I decided to interview Hope. Now, she mentioned that the company she uses tests for 15 different heavy metals But she mostly sees high aluminum and mercury, I believe she said. And the company I use does not test for that many toxic metals, but it does test for aluminum and mercury. And I agree, aluminum is commonly high on the hair mineral analysis test. And I'd say mercury is number two. So I'm not sure how important it is to do a test that tests for a lot of different heavy metals if most of the time it doesn't come back positive. I mean, there are exceptions and sometimes I'm sure it could be helpful I did have a patient in India who I was, of course, working with remotely, and she did a hair test from India, I believe, and it tested for uranium, which was very high. And then she explained to me that where she was living, I guess it was known that uranium is common in the water. So I didn't know that. And if she did the test that I usually recommend, it would not have picked up uranium. So so I guess that is an advantage of doing a different test. But I've been using analytical research labs. I've been using them for quite a long time. And I like them because they focus on hair mineral analysis testing. There are companies out there that do hair testing, but they do a lot of other tests. And so I'm pretty confident that their test is accurate. Now, again, accurate doesn't mean that if we see let's say low iron, it means that they have an iron deficiency because there are some markers that 
don't correlate with blood testing. And blood testing is not perfect either. So calcium is normal most of the time in the blood, but that's because the body will do everything it can to regulate calcium. But iron, I do like to look at a full iron panel in the blood. Now, getting back to some of the minerals like calcium, high calcium, I'm pretty sure she said, well, yeah, she did say usually it's not influenced by hard water, which that's not what I've seen in my practice. So I don't know if I agree with that. And I'm not saying if someone has high calcium that it's always going to be hard water, but it's something I ask them. If someone does have hard water and high calcium, does it mean that they can't also be having a calcium shell? which is when calcium's high, but it's bio unavailable, so the body's not utilizing it properly. And I agree, same thing with magnesium. A lot of times we'll see magnesium high, not in everyone, but it is common. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the person has too much magnesium. Very well can mean that it's bio unavailable. She said that most people are deficient in calcium, uh, in magnesium, I'm sorry, magnesium. And I would agree with that. I wouldn't rely on the hair test if magnesium's high, just assuming that, oh, the person is 100% okay when it comes to magnesium. But again, I disagree if someone has hard water. I think there is a relationship between hard water and the high calcium in the hair test. Just like if someone is using anti-dandruff shampoo, for example, and like head, head and Shoulders, I guess, is one brand. But some of the brands, if not all of them, I'm not an expert when it comes to anti-dandruff shampoo, but a lot of them, if not all of them, have selenium. And if someone is using anti-dandruff shampoo, we'll see selenium high on the hair test. And it's not because it's high. I mean, even if they're taking selenium supplements, it typically won't elevate the selenium. But if they're using head and shoulder shampoo or another anti-dandruff shampoo that has selenium, then we'll see it high. Manganese, very commonly high in the water. And again, that will commonly spike up the hair test results. So yeah, I mean, definitely if you have higher minerals in the water for whatever reason, it could be a problem or higher minerals in another product like the anti-dandruff shampoo. And then she also went over, spoke a little bit about the ratios. So we have like different types of ratios like calcium, potassium. And, you know, I look at the ratios, but I don't base my recommendations on the ratios just because you need to really address the minerals. And especially if someone, let's say if someone has high calcium that's influenced by hard water, then you definitely don't want to just look at the ratio. So, I mean, not to say don't look at the ratio, but I focus more so on the nutrient minerals. And then slow versus fast oxidizers, you'll see that. I don't know if that's on most hair tests, but the one from Analytical Research Labs looks at slow versus fast oxidizers. And most people are slow oxidizer. You figure those with hyperthyroidism, including Graves, toxic multinodular goiter, would be fast oxidizers. And sometimes they are, but most of the time, I'd say 80, 90% of the time, they're slow oxidizers. And, you know, with any test, it's like, well, what are you going to do with the results? And there's different types of diet. There's a slow oxidizer diet, fast oxidizer diet. And I don't utilize those diets. So I don't pay much attention to the slow and fast oxidizers. Sometimes I won't, honestly, but many times I'll bring it up just because I don't want the person to think I'm skipping over it, like I'm just ignoring it. But honestly, it's not something I really focus on. It's not going to change my recommendations. And I think that's, for the most part, what I want to mention. I mean, I will add that with heavy metals, it's not a perfect test. So if you're low in a certain heavy metal, let's say that cadmium is low or lead is low or arsenic is low, 
which is common. It doesn't mean that it's not a problem. It could be deeply embedded in the tissues. And sometimes on a follow-up test, after someone's detoxifying for a while, you'll see it elevated. With urinary testing, they commonly use provoked urine testing, whereas they'll do a baseline urine test, and then they'll give the person a chelating agent, and then they'll do a, another test after that. Yeah, and a lot of times you'll see heavy metals high, and it's not, not a bad test, but there is some controversy over using the chelators. And yeah, so it's just a different method. I mean, you could even potentially do that with hair testing. Usually you don't, but someone could take a chelating agent after doing like a baseline hair test and see see what it shows. But just wanted to bring that up because I'm sure some listening to this have gotten their heavy metals tested through the, the urine and not the hair. And then blood is more acute exposure. So if someone does testing for mercury or arsenic or cadmium or whatever, heavy metal, and it's negative, it just means that they're not acutely getting exposed to that heavy metal. So it's not a bad idea to do it. I mean, I can't say I have all my patients do testing for heavy metals in the blood, but if it's negative, it doesn't rule out a heavy metal problem. With that being said, I think that's all I wanted to mention here. Anyway, as usual, I hope you found the information on hair tissue mineral analysis to be valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit savemythyroid.com forward slash liver support.